This is the gospel of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and every secret thought of ours be known at all times acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Since we've begun the series on Hebrews, we've been reminded of to whom it was written, largely the Jews. We're not sure who wrote it, but we do realise it's more than a letter. It's most likely a sermon, and a long one at that. Those greater theologians than me, like Stuart and Dale, have dealt with the, the fact that it is God's Son, Jesus, who has spoken to us. And uh, it is, of course, that he's spoken to the, those who were his hearers or readers that day. And that Jesus is the true and great high priest. As we have heard again, the fact that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. The Romans were the ones that made those two-edged swords so that they could slice off people's head that way and then go back that way. And uh, the scripture is somewhat of a two-edged sword in that it helps us in uh, making us realise what we're like, helping us to be reformed. Not so much others, but us. It comes in, into our lives. And so nothing is hidden from God. I'm going to uh, have now the two questions on the, the screen, if I may. Is she qualified? Can he do the job? That sounds a funny thing to start off with, but if you were like me and like Stuart and like others in a position of leadership, and I'm talking about the past more than the present, if there was somebody who applied for a job in the work of the, the church, you'd find out first, are they qualified? And then secondly, can they do the job? Most importantly. <clears throat> the author of Hebrews asks a similar question. Is Jesus qualified for the office of high priest? And the answer is yes. But sometimes demonstrating the, the um, reasons for this, his position is difficult because Jesus doesn't come from the tribe of Levi. I would ask you which tribe he came from. I know you'd all say Judah. So he wasn't one that would come in that lineage. His lineage appears to disqualify him. And in the lectionary passages this week, the writer begins to respond to this problem, problem and shows that Jesus is qualified to function as our high priest. Next one. And it is that um, the writer examines some qualifications. I've called it two. One, the qualification is that you've got to be called by God. And the second is, more or less combined, humility and compassion. The structure of the argument is a concentric ring as the writer treats compassion 
and humility in general, and he reverses the order to argue for Christ's humility and compassion. With respect to humility, the author first notes that high priests do not grasp at this position of honour. It's not something that you can just take on. Those who arrogantly seize the office disqualify themselves. Aaron and his descendants who followed him as high priests came to their position because God called them and appointed them. Now Jesus fulfills this qualification as well. He hasn't presumed to take the office because God selected him. And it is that because God selected him, the, the author of the uh, reading that, that may come back on the screen talks of two passages of scripture. One is the first reference to Psalm 2 verse 7 and the second is a, from Psalm 110. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And this argument proves central in, or this quotation proves central in this argument. The writer does know that Jesus doesn't fulfill the requirement of physical defense from Levi. How can then he continue to argue that God has appointed Jesus to be the high priest? Since any straightforward logic is blocked, the writer uses it what may be called, and I'm not very good at chess, but a chess knight's move to jump over the objection. Christ, he points out, is not a priest like Levi at all. He's a priest like Melchizedek, who belongs to an old order of priesthood and therefore better order of priests. I think later in this series, one of the uh, greater theologians than me will probably examine the relationship of Jesus and Mel Melchizedek in more detail, but here, it is he quickly turns to explore a second qualification, and that qualification is of compassion or mercy. You see, the high priest must be able to deal mercifully with the ignorant and the errant, since he too is beset by human frailty. Most high priests must also offer sacrifice for their own sins as well as those of others. And despite his exalted position, as a son, a son of God, Jesus too is able to sympathise with our human frailty and limitations because of what he experienced in the days of his flesh, as it says. The analogy between Jesus and the other high priest does not hold in every respect because Jesus is without sin. And that's another topic to talk about. I believe Jesus was capable of, being, of sinning but he, he did not sin because of his obedience. Nonetheless, his experience of testing encompasses the full range of human experience. Isn't that wonderful to understand that Jesus knows all about us and knows about all the things, those experiences have come upon us that he's able to sympathise with us. I think it's true that in particular the prayers of Jesus illustrate the depth of his identification with us. Just as the high priest offers gifts and sacrifices for sins, so Jesus sacrificially offers prayers and supplications. But Jesus didn't offer these prayers in a serene sanctuary, isolated from human need and pain. Where did he do it? Instead, Jesus prayed to God in the midst of crisis, fervently and passionately, with loud cries and tears. All these prayers may allude to Jesus' experience of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, or on the cross, or to the role of prayer throughout the entirety of his ministry and his passion. 
What matters most is that Jesus stands in solidarity with us in our vulnerability and in our finitude and like us, cries out to God for help. Jesus' identification with humanity extends beyond prayer, the prayer to obedience. His experiences in the days of his flesh were not a mere gloss of his heavenly status, rather his obediential suffering. And here, the writer of the Hebrews has in mind his paschal suffering and death. And it becomes formative for his vocation as a priest. In his own experience, Jesus learns how to respond to and obey God's call. In this, he is truly one that does not cling to his prerogatives as a son of God, but he comes obedient. And that obedience qualifies him for his service as priest, for he demonstrates his capacity to sympathize with us in our struggles. Learning obedience, Jesus became what is written, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. But why should the obedience of Jesus as a human being matter? Why does salvation depend on a high priest who is subject to weakness, who prays in crisis, who learns what the human lot is like? Why does Jesus' service as high priest require his identification with us? In a column entitled The Man and the Birds, religion editor Louis Castles recounted the story of a man who refused to attend a Christmas Eve service with his family because he didn't believe in the incarnation. He didn't believe that God had become man. He remained at home. And soon it began to snow. Minutes later, he heard what he thought was someone throwing snowballs against his window. Going outside to investigate, he found a flock of birds trying to fly through his window as they sought refuge from the storm. He thought that they might find shelter in his barn. And he made his way there, he opened the doors of the barn, turned the lights on, but the birds stayed outside. He created a trail of breadcrumbs, thinking that they might follow the breadcrumbs into the barn, but that didn't work. He tried to shoo them into the barn, but that effort was unsuccessful. He said, if only I could be a bird myself for a few minutes, perhaps I could lead them safely. At that moment, the church bells rang and the man sank to his knees in the snow. Now, he said, now I understand, he whispered. Now I see why Jesus had to do it, why he became man so that I could understand God. Finally, rather, Jesus being made perfect refers to the fact that in order for Jesus to be a high priest, he had to share in the experience of those he represented. Hence, he had to suffer. Being perfected means being fitted properly for the role of high priest. And this required suffering. The ultimate purpose of Jesus becoming high priest is given at the end of verse 9 in our reading this morning. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And it takes an eternal high priest to bestow eternal salvation. Amen.